Bibles with you this evening. Open up to the book of Joshua. We're going to a new place, finish the book of Deuteronomy, and we'll be picking up the book of Joshua. And as we look at the book of Joshua, here's the exciting thing. The book of Joshua deals with apprehending what you already comprehend that God has given you. Yeah. It is a book about apprehending what you already comprehend that God has given you. The children of Israel, they comprehend that God said, this is your land. But how is it that they come to possess it? They got to go. For you and I, as we look at this book of Joshua, the challenge for you and I is this. We have, as we study in the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning, already been given incredible blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right? We're adopted into the family of God. For to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to be called the sons of God. We're part of God's family. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We've received salvation. We have been uh, um, elect so that God's hand is upon us from the moment we believe until we see him face to face. These incredible blessings that we have already. You comprehend it. But in order to possess it, you have to apprehend. How do we apprehend it? That's the challenge of the Christian life, isn't it? The challenge for the children of Israel. How do we apprehend all these things God's given us? This great land. This great land. And I was going to show you a picture of the borders that Israel were supposed to be. I'll have to show you next week because it's on my computer still. But it's not on that one. So that won't work. 300,000 square miles was the size of Israel that God promised, the land that God promised. Uh, From the Nile River to the Euphrates. So that cuts Egypt. Big chunk of Egypt is gone. A huge chunk of Saudi Arabia. A huge chunk of Iraq all the way to the Euphrates River. All of Lebanon. All of Jordan. Part of Syria. All would have been part of the land that God promised to Israel. Today, Israel just has a fraction, tiny fraction of the 300,000 square miles that God promised to them. But isn't that really a lot of our experience in our relationship with the Lord? How much do we really possess of all the promises that Jesus gave? How much do we really possess? When Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly, do we feel like we're walking in the abundant life? Because the promise is there. We comprehend it. But just like the children of Israel, they only got where they put the sole of their foot. Only where they were willing to possess, apprehend, put their hands on, grab and make a part of their life. That became their possession. And that's the challenge for us. As we look at the book of Joshua, I I don't know about you, but I want everything that God has for me. I want to experience the whole deal. We've got, we talked about last week, still one of the mind-blowing illustrations. Francis Chan does an illustration with string. And he talks about the fact, you know, and this is even a, a distortion of his illustration, but if we ran string all the way across the sanctuary here, and that represents eternity, your, your existence in eternity with God. The speck on that string that is your life here is a dot so small you couldn't even see it. That's a small period of time, our 70 or 80 years here, if we're blessed. But compared to eternity, it doesn't even show up on a string. But... What we do with that dot echoes all the way down the string. I want to possess in that time, in my time here, everything that God has. I can't go back and take the years I've wasted. Anybody waste any years? What do we know as we study the children of Israel at this point? How many years have they wasted? Forty years. Forty years wasted. Now think, before you get too hard on them, think about Moses. Moses was 40 years being raised up in Egypt, and then 40 years on the backside of the desert, and then 40 years leading the children of Israel. 
I'm sure there were times Moses looked at his life and said, man, i got a lot of wasted time here. Is, it, is any time really wasted with the Lord? He was training Moses up, wasn't he? He was training up a new generation of Israelites to enter into the promise that God gave. The 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. What about for Joshua? How do you think he felt? Because Joshua at this point is probably 80. He's probably 80 years old when he takes over. He's been following Moses for at least 40 years, right? At least. And then, I know he wasn't just born, because you couldn't just follow Moses if you are just born. So he had to be at least 20 to serve. And probably was older than that. And you remember, he is one of the two spies that went out to the land and came back and said, we can take them. And for 40 years, he wandered in the desert with everybody else who didn't believe. I'm sure there was a time or two in his life he thought, man, we could have been there 40 years ago. Come on, guys. But he wandered around. Was that wasted time? Listen, when we study uh, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we discover something about Joshua. What we discover about Joshua is, well, first off, his name was Hosea. Hosea means salvation. And when he came to be with Moses, Moses is going to change his name and call call him Yehoshua. Hoshua just means salvation. Yehoshua means God is salvation. In the Greek, we know the name, right? What's the Greek for, for Joshua? Jesus. Joshua becomes a type of Christ. Joshua is going to lead the children of Israel to apprehend the promises of God. Jesus Christ leads the church to apprehend the promises of God. What did he say? He'd look at you and I and he'd say, If you would follow me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. What did Joshua say? I don't know what the rest of you guys are going to do, but as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to follow him. So as we look at this, we see Joshua being a a picture at one time of salvation and then focused in on God is salvation. That deliverer becomes a, a type or a symbol of Jesus Christ. But then also, what did he get to do in those 40 years? He got to follow Moses around. That's pretty good teaching, right? Hanging out with Moses, who, by the way, is hanging out with God. One of the cool things, if you go back and look at where we've already studied, that you'll remember about Joshua, Moses would go to the tabernacle and talk to the Lord and go home. Joshua stayed. Once Joshua got into the presence of God, he didn't want to leave. He wanted to hang out. And God made Joshua this general that would lead the, the Lord's armies. Even in the time of Moses, Joshua was the guy who took him out to battle. And now he's taking them to battle again, right? Because we got to fight for what we want to possess. How many of us feel like we'd like to just say, Lord, just give it to me. I'll pray, Lord, give me patience. No way. Uh, I will. But, what, but I know what's coming if I do, right? Because how does God teach patience? Through tri- tribulation. Yeah, hard times are coming and you'll learn it. Or endurance, or perseverance, or any of those things. We'd like it to be instant. I can't even tell you how many hundreds of times I've said, Lord, could you just, like, I could go to sleep tonight and wake up tomorrow, and I could play the guitar like I want to in my mind? But God says no. If you want to play the guitar like that, you put in your time. You go to battle. You possess, apprehend what God has for you. And that's what we're going to see as we take a look here. The book of Joshua begins verse one. He says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Oh, see, I've got pockets. You know why I got pockets? Hold my glasses. Now I can see. After the death, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan. You and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Now, don't lose sight of what happened. If you just turn to the left one page, uh, we, we look back at verse 7 of Deuteronomy chapter 34. 
It says Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the weeping and the mourning of Moses ended. And then God said, Joshua, get up. It's time to go. Moses, my servant, is dead. That's a great thing to be called, though, isn't it? Moses, my servant. In the Greek, the idea is doulos. Jesus would say to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants. Now I call you friends. But they all, every one of them that wrote an epistle, never called themselves the friend of God. What did they call themselves? Servant. Bond servant. I live for him. That's what he was saying about Moses. Moses was living for the Lord. And in verse 3, he tells them, listen, guys, listen. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Every place you put the sole of your foot. They gave him the gift of the land. The land's a gift. But in order to apprehend the gift, they've got to be willing to walk. Right? Right? And walking means we're making progress. As we looked at the book of Ephesians, we, we just finished up Ephesians on Sunday morning. And we talked about all the blessings we had. And immediately after he laid out for us the doctrine, he lays out for us in the book of Ephesians our duty. And it starts with walk in unity. Are we perfectly unified in the church today? No. But walking in unity means I'm going to make progress toward that end. Walking in unity, walking in purity, walking in love, walking in obedience, walking in submission, walking in victory. He wants us to constantly be making progress. When the children of Israel didn't possess all 300,000 square miles, it is because they said, that's good enough. I'm tired of fighting. I'm ready for retirement. I want to get it all done in this amount of time, and then I just want to sit back, pick up my feet, and take my ease. Anybody ever felt that way? I feel that way. But it reminds me of a story in the Bible, a story that Jesus told. He said there was a farmer, and he he had this great harvest and filled up all his barns. And the farmer said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down these barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'm going to have a bigger harvest. And I'm going to fill those huge barns. And when I have those barns full, I'm going to pick up my feet, kick back, and take my ease. And Jesus said, you fool. Today your soul is required of you. I think about Moses. I remember way back in Deuteronomy, several chapters before the end, God says to Moses, okay, Moses, you're about to die, but there's one more battle I want you to fight. Come on, Lord, I've been serving you for 120 years, certainly the last 80. Didn't I earn a break? No. Moses fought battles until God said, come home. That's how it is in the Christian life. If we think there's a time coming or where our hope is, I'm going to get to pick up my feet and kick back and life's going to be easy. That's not this life. This life is that little dot. The rest you're talking about is when we enter into Christ Jesus. That's the rest of the string. But here, Jesus said, occupy till I come. Or as some translations put it, do business. Keep busy. Get cracking. Get moving. Until I come, you got work to do. So work. Be after it. Be after doing the things God wants you to do. What's God want you to do? To possess everything he has for you. The children of Israel possessed 10%. I'd say that's probably a pretty good model. In concerning how much of what Jesus has for us we possess. That means there's 90% of the, of the abundant life that Jesus promised that we don't have in our grasp. And what keeps us from that? Making progress. Walk. Where you put the sole of your foot, God said, I gave it to you. It's yours. Just go. Just walk. Just step out in it. And you can have all that I'm giving you. But then he says, here's the, here's the outline of the land. 
From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun will be your territory. 300,000 square miles. Now listen to verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Sound familiar? That promise isn't just for Joshua, is it? Because Jesus said the same thing to us. I will never leave you or forsake you. He wouldn't leave us orphans, right? He said he would give us a comforter, another one. One to come alongside to equip us, enable us, empower us to do what God's calling us to do. The Holy Spirit. I will never leave you or forsake you. Anybody ever felt forsook? I have felt forsook. I thought a few times, God, I'm not sure you're watching. You know, maybe you were looking over there for a second ago and you didn't see what just happened. But God knows. God knows. If God knows, and I will comfort myself with the concept that God knows what I'm going through and there's a reason for it, then I can change my attitude about it and I can allow God to do the work in my heart he needs to do so that I learn, I develop the character I need to develop that God's trying to instill in me. I promise you something. If you don't learn the lesson the first time around the mountain, you will go around the mountain again. God is patient. Do you know that? He says he's long-suffering. That means he's willing to suffer a long time watching you go around the same mountain. The only person that can control how many trips I take around that mountain is me. When I'm willing to surrender. Isn't that what we saw Jesus do in the Garden of Gatshmone? When he in prayer to his father, declared, if there's any way that this cup could be passed for me, any other way, if people could be good enough and get into heaven, Lord, that'd be great. I don't have to drink this cup. But Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, yours. That Guys, he's saying that because he's given us the example. We somehow think that in our lives, our lives are going to be easier, better. Listen. God loved his son. You pay attention to what happened to him? And that, from that suffering, from that hardship, from that difficulty, from all that Jesus wrought, what did he do? Oh, just save the world. So if we, in the challenges that lay before us, are willing to say, this is God's hand working in my life. I don't like it. I don't understand why. But the Bible doesn't say we have to have understanding, does it? In fact, it promises to us in Proverbs not to lean into our own understanding, doesn't it? Doesn't Jesus say, my peace I give unto you? The peace that I give, not as the world gives, give I unto you. It's a peace that what? Surpasses understanding. So the question then becomes a question of trust. I trust you, Lord. Think about what Job said. Though he slay me, I will serve him. That's trust. And that was Job's attitude. Guys, if we want to truly, if we want to apprehend everything that God has for us, we have got to be willing to develop that attitude in the, in the things that happen in our life. Hey, and you want to know where the rubber meets the road with that? Simple. Two nights, two nights ago, Kathy and I had a fight. Now, I'm sure you can hardly believe something like that would happen. We had a fight. And it... You know, not bad, no broken windows or nothing. It was all, that part was okay. But as we're going on and we're getting frustrated with one another and, and we're, you know, I mean, we tell people how they're supposed to do it, but we don't always do it that way. If you think you got a counselor somewhere who always does it right, uh, you're on crack, brother. They're living in the real world. There's always a difference between knowing what we're supposed to do and doing it, right? 
And there's time when we're arguing and, and when we're trying to talk that, that I know what to do. But I don't want to do it. You ever feel that way? And I know God wants me to surrender. And I know God wants me to submit. And I go down kicking and screaming the whole way. And it reminds me of a guy. One day I hope to have him here if they're still doing it. It's called Potter's Field Ministry. And this fellow makes pots. Jeremiah was called to go down to the potter's house and see an example of, of the way Christians are. And he goes down there and he talks about making this clay pot. The Bible says he is a potter and we are what? The clay. The clay control anything? No. The wheel is going to spin however much a wheel needs to spin. You can scream the whole time. You can even throw a hissy fit. You can get all hard, but don't worry about it. If you get hard, he'll just dump water on you and mash you. And the more mashing he does, the more pliable you become. And when we learn to say, okay, Lord, you make it what you want it to be. Not my will. Yours be done. Then he makes us into what he's trying to make us into. And he does what, he, what he's been trying to do all along. And all of us, every human being, every believer on the planet struggles with that concept. Struggles with apprehending it. Because it's something we've got to go through every single day. I lost. I always lose, man. Kathy's so good. Kathy goes, honey, I'm sorry. She gets holy on me. Yeah. It's never good when the preacher's wife, she knows she, she calls on the Lord and then it's over. She's right. I'm wrong. And some, it takes me a while to get to it, but I got there eventually. Huh, babe? <laughs> so when we, when we look at that, folks, that's just where the rubber meets the road. That's real life. That's, that's how it is. And that's how we, that's how we want to be. But we want to possess and we want to realize that God has said, no one can stand before you and I'll never leave you or forsake you. But we have to be willing to submit to the hands of the potter. But here's the problem in verse six. This is what holds us back because he's going to say it several times in this chapter. Be strong and of good courage. Why does he have to say that? He has to say that because we are weak and afraid. Period. So was Joshua. So was Moses. So was every hero in the Bible that we read about. They were weak and afraid. That's why God had to say, be strong and of good courage. What do we study in Ephesians? Be strong how? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Paul would say, when I am weak, he is strong. So recognizing it's not about me, and it's that concept of submitting. Lord, I need to do this in your strength, not mine. I need to do this in your wisdom, not mine. I need to do this your way, not mine. When Joshua and the children of Israel do that, going into the promised land, guess what? They win. When they don't, they lose. And we'll have opportunity to study that as we go through. Be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. They're going. They're going to get in the land. But what does he repeat in verse 7? Only be strong and very courageous. For what? That you may observe to do. According to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. You know there's a difference between hearing and doing. You can hear a lot of things. It doesn't mean you're going to do it. You can hear and agree. That's right. Amen, preacher. Preach it. But that's not the same as doing. Doing, that's where the rubber meets the road. He calls us to do. He says, 
be strong and courageous. And then you see how he emphasizes only be very strong and very courageous. Because sometimes God's word to you doesn't make sense. Kind of like marching around a city seven times, blowing trumpets. How's that going to win a battle? Right? What do you mean submit, Lord? I submit. If I don't fight for my rights, who will? Maybe, Lord. Maybe nobody. God says to lay down our rights like Jesus did, right? Isn't that what he says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8? Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus our Lord, who being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. The kenosis. He emptied himself. He laid down his rights. That's our example. That's our example. Coming to that place where we can be strong and very courageous. Not just to hear, but to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. He says, you make the word of God your foundation. The word of God, if I am going to move forward with the Lord, then it's simple how I do it. It's just the wanting to do it that's the hard part. There's a lot of guys that I'll sit down in my office, they come in for counsel and they're struggling with A, B, C, D, E, or F. It doesn't make any difference. And I'll tell them what the Word of God says and how the Word of God lays it out for them. And they, they say they love the Lord and they want to obey Him. And in two weeks they're going to be back and we're going to talk about the exact same thing. How come? Because they're hearing but not doing. Don't turn from the, to the right or to the left. Take the Word of God and say, you know what? I'm going to follow what the Word of God lays out. What I know the Word is calling me. Don't sit around and argue about doubtful things. The Word says not to do that. What does the Word say? Do what you know. We don't have to make it hard. I, I don't even have to get past Deuteronomy. I just taught the Cub Scouts this very same thing. God wants one thing from you and one thing only. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's enough to keep me busy for a while. How do I love the Lord my God? I spend time with Him. How do I spend time with Him? Worship, fellowship, prayer, and the Word. That's it. So if I reserve or set aside one day a week to spend with the Lord, am I loving Him? I'm not, not like I could. Well, just think about it like this. If you're married and your husband only sees you one day a week, how do you like it? Or husbands? No, I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, I will. We've, we don't like it. We don't like it. There's a, a scripture in Jeremiah where God is talking to the people and he says, Listen, I got up early in the morning to tell you something, but you weren't there. I wanted to share something with you, but you weren't there. For, for all of us, that's often. There's something that God wants to do that God wants to show us. So he says, don't turn from the right or the left. Stay committed. Stay committed to the word of God. Stay committed to, to what God's word lays out for us. This book of the law in verse 8 shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That concept for meditate, it's a similar word for the word to, to chew the cud. That means you, you read it and just chomp on it for a while. Hmm. I don't know if I like how that tastes or not. But we want to have, we want to have that attitude. We want to have that thing. Day and night. You make a God sandwich. Everything that happens in your day goes in the middle. And God's the bread, morning and night. You got a God sandwich. Spending time with the Lord, spending time in his word, spending time with him day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success.
It's, it's a question of faith. Having faith, right? And how does my faith come? Faith comes as we meditate on the word. Chew the cud. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so that's it. That's a big key. He says you're, you will have, you'll be prosperous and have good success. And for most people who are struggling in their Christian walk, I can point to that. How much time you spend with the Lord? How much time seeking his face? How much time in prayer? How much time in worship? How much time surrendered to him? Because God calls us to, to make that our number one priority. But for, I know for me, especially early on in my walk with the Lord, it was all about niching out a part of my life for God. I got all this stuff going on, God, but I'm going to give you this niche right here. This is, your, this is my God niche. For men, it's my God box. wasn't very big. There were a lot of other bigger boxes in my life. But God, I'm going to give you that box. And I promise at least one time a week or a couple times a month, I'll get in that box with you. But I wasn't prosperous in my walk with the Lord. I wasn't making progress. I wasn't enjoying the abundant life that Jesus promised. I enjoy the abundant life. I enjoy good success with the Lord when I got the lid of that box off and I'm in it all the time. That's how it works. And then what does he tell us? Verse 9, he goes right back to it. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you are. You cannot leave God behind. If you've asked the Lord to be your Lord and Savior, wherever you go, God's there. Paul said the very same thing. If you join yourself to a harlot, God's with you. That's what Paul said. He didn't, he didn't leave him outside. If you went to the movies or you went to a concert or you went and did this or you went and did that, God's with you wherever you go. That's also good to know when you're upside down and sideways and feel like you're spinning around the wheel on that little potter's wheel and you're screaming, God, are you watching? Yeah. Don't be afraid or dismayed. Trust the Lord. Be strong and of good courage for he is with you. And what do we do? We think God wants to do evil to us. Come on, we know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, right? What's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's God's plan. We don't always like how He's doing it. Doesn't change it from being God's plan. Just be strong and of good courage. Trust Him. God knows what he's doing. We have to have eyes willing to trust, willing to believe. So first we see God laying all this stuff out for, for Joshua. Joshua, as a good leader, is going to go tell his officers the same thing. He's going to go talk to them. Look, he says in verse 10, So Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, So he's going to encourage his officers, Pass through the camp and command all the people, saying, prepare provisions for yourself for within three days you will cross over the Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, how many of you, every time you see the word three days, does a little alarm go off? Happens to me every time. We can't even tell you how many times that comes up. Three days, three nights, Jesus in the ground and then he rose and took captivity captive, gave gifts to men. He leads us into the abundant life. That's what Joshua is going to do for them in the end after three days. <clears throat> you will cross over the Jordan and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God has given you. He doesn't say, I think we're going to make it or maybe we're going to make it. He says, we're going to make it. You will possess. And then he goes to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, he's got to talk to them specifically because those guys want to stay where they're at. You remember them, right? They're thinking, this is good enough. This is about as far with the Lord as I want to come. But Moses said, that's fine, you can stay, but you still have to commit. 
You have to commit to helping your brothers. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock will remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed all your mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving to them. And you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Hey guys, we're going in for battle. Bring your men. But these guys, they don't exactly fulfill that promise. The book of Numbers tells us how many fighting men they had. According to the book of Numbers, they have 136,930 fighting men. Men over the age of 20 that can go in and do battle. They will send 40,000. Because they cared more about building and protecting their homes than they cared about being obedient to God. See, we can be out of balance that way. Here's the downside to what they did. Every other tribe took their women and children with them. And the women and children got to see God move and got to see God work and got to see God deliver and got to see them fail and got to learn the lessons along with them. But for Reuben, the half-tribe of Manasseh and Gad, their kids stayed behind. And the majority of their men stayed behind. They didn't get to see all those things. They didn't grow in the Lord like they could have. Because what they had was good enough. And the excuse they used was, my first ministry is to my family. Now, what do you mean, Jackie? Your first call is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's your first ministry. And then to be directed of the Lord, to do what God's calling you to do, what, what God's directing you. Nobody can tell you what that is. Does that mean that I, I have to serve in Sunday school forever? No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is, Lord has to have first place. He didn't have first place in their life. They weren't obedient, they didn't follow, and they were not seeking first the kingdom of God. They were seeking first the kingdom of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. If I make my first concern my family, I am seeking first my family. What does God call us in Matthew chapter 6 to do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what will happen? All these things will be added unto you. Make God first and everything else is going to be okay. But you make God first and it's not looking very good. And my kids are running wild and they're not, they're not, you trust God? Well, it's hard. Hey, I live in the same world. I got kids too. I got a 20-something-year-old somewhere running around with my first little grandbaby. I think I've seen my grandbaby three times since she'd been born. I would love to hold my grandbaby every single day. But... I will seek first the kingdom of God. And God called me to a place where I can't do that. Does that mean I don't want to? Not at all. But I will love the Lord my God first. Jesus said, none of you will lose mother, father, brother, sister, house, where you won't receive much more in that, this age and the age to come. 
if we make him first. I, I don't always like it. My son sends me lots of pictures and it's awesome. I love seeing pictures, but she's walking. There's a lot between born and walking. And when I go, the saddest part, she don't know me. That's not her fault. She wants her grandpa that she knows. And that's okay. Doesn't mean I don't love her. And I don't hold that against the Lord. God said, Jackie, you go here. And I went. I didn't count the cost. I didn't say, well, Lord, this is too expensive. I'm not willing. I said, where you send, I'll go. I'll do what you're calling me to do. And I'll do it with my whole heart. As unto the Lord. And one day, I will gain in Christ more than I ever lost. You know the Bible teaches a day of the restitution of all things? I may not have the relationship today. Who knows what the future holds? I may not have the relationship today that I'd like to have. But when I'm with Jesus, there's not going to be any, I don't know you, because we'll know as we are known. There'll be no hurt, nor pain, nor sorrow, no goodbyes. Everything we ever lost in Adam, we gain in Christ. So Jesus said, I want you to seek me first. Let's, let's look there with me. Go to, Matthew, go to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Beginning at verse 19. Let's hear what Jesus... You'll notice if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, these are all red. So that means this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus has to say to you and me. Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Three quarter ton vans take your Harley away. But lay up for yourselves <laughs> treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where, thins, where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what's it say? There your heart will be also. Listen, I know this isn't easy, but if my treasure is my family, where's my heart? My family. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. But listen. Listen. God said it's supposed to be where? With Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's a challenging commandment to me every time I read it. Because I love my family. But God calls me not to lay up treasures here, but to lay up treasures in heaven. Now the good news is... How do I do that? God said, in everything you do, do it how? As unto the Lord, right? So whatever I do, if my motivation behind doing it is to do it as unto the Lord, then whatever I'm doing is unto Him. And my heart is with Him and my treasure is in heaven. But if my motivation is not that, if my motivation is something else, keeping up with the Joneses, or the Jones. If my motivation is that, that distorts it. Do all that you do, and everything you do, do all as unto the Lord. In verse 22 of Matthew 6, he says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Listen, he's saying... We can, it's all about our attitude and how we see what we're doing. And if my attitude is not as unto the Lord, it makes all that I'm doing a waste of time and effort. And that's that little speck that can't even be seen that's going to affect 
this whole string of my life for eternity. That's why the Lord says it's foolish. It's foolish. But he goes on, he continues and says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Can't have it both ways. Can't have it both ways. Lay up your treasure in heaven or lay up your treasure on earth. We have to choose. What are we going to do? Who are we going to serve? Now what Joshua said? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We will seek first his kingdom. And trust that all the stuff we're missing is going to work out in the end. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Matthew 6 goes on to say, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body. Nor about your body. (laughs) Nor about your body. Nor about your body. You know, the great thing about the word, God never tells me I have to go on a diet. People try to get on my case about gluttony. Let me tell you something. You live in the United States, you're a glutton. What do you mean? I, I only weigh 120 pounds. Yeah, if you eat more than a tiny bowl of rice, you eat more than two-thirds of the world. Tell me about I'm a glutton because I'm fat. Get off my case. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That was for all the Buddha comments. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay, so don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you drink, nor your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Take a look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. Nor are they gathering into barns. But your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That's challenging, isn't it? Now, God doesn't want us to be sloths. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying... When you say, the reason I can't serve the Lord or follow the Lord or be dedicated unto the Lord is because i got to do all this stuff. God says, why are you worried about all that stuff? He says, the bottom line is you don't trust me. You don't believe. I'll do what my word says. I said, I'll take care of you. It's either true or it's a lie. He wants, he doesn't give us that gray area, man. I love that about God. He busts my chops all the time. He doesn't give me gray area to hang out in. He says, hey, Jackie, how's your heart really? What's really going on? Because I believe God's calling this generation to fall in, to steal a Francis Chan term, crazy love with God. And that's how revival will happen in our hearts. When we start taking the word of God and saying, you know, that's real. God says what he means, means what he says. That's what he means. Will I obey it? He said not to turn to the right or the left, right? The word, take the word and move forward. Take the word and go. So which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? A cubit is 18 inches. Can you add 18 inches to your stature? I can add 18 inches to my girth. You notice he didn't ask that. He didn't say nothing about girth. He said stature. Can you add any, anything to your stature? So why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But they grow, don't they? But they grow, don't they? <clears throat> and yet I say to you, That even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or as beautiful as one of these lilies. I mean, you ever consider the beauty of the flowers, wild flowers that nobody planted, they just popped up before we spray weed killer on them? Man, the Lord says they're beautiful. 
Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, that is uh, here today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, and your heavenly Father knows what you need, or your, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. God knows what you need, but what's he tell us to do? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. What do we trip up? We get hang out in the past or we hang out in the future. Paul says, forgetting those things which lie behind, I press on. Got to get out of the past. Why? God's not there. I got to stay out of the future, worrying about tomorrow. Why? Because we never worry about the future and put God in it, do we? We don't ever worry about the future with God there. When we worry about the future, God's not there. Where is God? Here. Now. Today. That's where he wants us to walk. That's how he wants us to seek him. And that was the struggle for Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. They wanted wanted it their way. And so they're not ever going to experience Everything that God had for him. And the sad thing is, a lot of Christians live our whole existence that same way. This is good enough. This is all I want. But if Jesus has it for me, I want it. I want to I do what he wants me to do. I want to walk where he wants me to walk. I want to be who he wants me to be. I want to trust him that way. I don't always. But I want to. I want to make that a, a, an aim in my life. That I would have that. That I would enjoy all that God has for us. So for Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they were the furthest away from the hub of worship. They were furthest ones away from the opportunity to go to the place God was calling them to for worship. And they hung out there on the outskirts. They were borderline believers. Hanging out on the edge. Who hangs out on the edge? Peter says, Be wary of your adversary, the devil, who walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he will devour. Is he hanging out in the middle? You ever seen a lion eat? He's not eating out the middle of everybody. Where's he eating? On edge. People hang out on the edge. Listen, here's the first thing that happens, guys. People isolate themselves from the house of God, from gathering together in worship, from fellowship. They hang out on the edge, and the devil picks them off. devil picks them off. I don't want to be in the edge. I want to be as far from the edge as I can be. I want to be as close to the Lord as I can get. And I think that's what God wants for each of us. So they answered Joshua, and they said, All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Now, that's good. It's cheap because it's only words. But it's good. It's good. What are they going to say? They're going to say, listen, we're going to obey. Where you send, we will go. But you understand, this is Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And they only sent 40,000. They didn't even send a third. 30%. Of the men of valor. But they said, whatever you command us, we'll do it. See, that's the difference between doing and knowing. Comprehend and apprehend. Sometimes it's quite a distance between the two. But the challenge for us to walk in victory is to apprehend. Do All of what God's calling us to do. And they say, just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Has anybody paid attention to the first five books of the Bible? The the important thing about this is to realize in the same way they treated Moses, they're going to treat Joshua. Yeah, yippee-ki-yay, huh? 
Because uh, what do we know about them? They're complainers and grumblers and they had troubles, just like all of us. They made a true statement. They made a true statement. In all the ways that we heeded Moses, we're going to heed you. They're going to have their struggles. They're going to have their failures. So are we. That's not to, to make us feel like we're condemned. It's a challenge, man. A challenge means rise up and face the challenge. Rise up and say, no, I don't have to be this way. If the devil whispers in your ear, you're no good, that didn't come from God. God doesn't say you're no good. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, get up, you can do it. Get up. The world will knock us down a hundred times. The true test of an individual is how many times will you get up? And say, no, this is not going to be the last chapter of my life that I mess up. I'm going to do right. However many times it takes. Keep getting up. Keep moving forward. Because that is progress. That is what it means to walk with the Lord. Walking in the Spirit. means I keep getting up. I keep moving forward. I continue to try. Only the Lord your God be with you. As he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, in all that you command him will be put to death. Hey, if anybody doesn't stand with you, they're saying to Joshua, we got your back, brother. All third of us. We got your back. And if anybody doesn't do what they're supposed to do, we'll kill them. But we're going to leave two-thirds of our guys back. Words are cheap, right? But it also, at the same time, is good to know people got your back, isn't it? People got your back. Even when you fail. Even when you mess up. Even when you blow it. I got a friend who's struggling, having a hard time. Stumbled in Phil just this last week. He comes in to talk to me and the first thing I do is hug him and tell him I love him. I don't hold no, no bitterness toward him for failing. How many times I fail? I'm still going to fail in the future. My job is, Jesus said, my job is to love him like God loves him. To encourage him like God encourages me. To say, you can make it. You can succeed. Just get up. Strengthen feeble knees. And the arms hang down. Lift up your brother and say, come on. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. How you finish. Bible full of guys who started good and didn't finish at all. Man, just get up. Just move forward. And then how does he end the chapter? The same way he starts it, man. Only be strong and of good courage. How do we do all this? How, how do we face the, the challenge that God lays out for us tonight? Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord. I want to be making God first in every area of my life. And, and as I do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have success. Guys, there are things in my life I struggled with. I thought I would never not struggle with these things. And as I surrendered those things to the Lord and I allow God to work in my life, He gave me victory. Just like them, little by little, step by step, I'll give you victory. Wherever you put the sole of your foot. There's a whole bunch of stuff I still got to do. <laughs> if you want to know how much, just ask, ask Kathy. She'd be happy to tell you. I've got stuff to do, man. I'm not there. Paul even said, not that I have already apprehended, but... Forgetting those things which lie behind, I press on. That's the test. Press on. Apprehend everything that Jesus has for you and me. That's the challenge Joshua is going to challenge us with as we go through this book. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for an opportunity to come before you, to study this, this word, to be challenged to be strong and of good courage, to put our faith and hope and everything that we are into you. God, I pray that that would be truly our desire. Truly our desire would be to put our faith and hope in you.
There's so much, God, that you want to do. Lord, I pray that we would have an attitude that says, I will make God first. I've put other things before him. I've allowed other things to take that place. But I'm going to claim the word of God's true. And he said, if I seek him first, everything's going to work out. And I'll trust him. Though he slay me, I will trust him. Because what I lose in this speck cannot be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us when we see him face to face. So, Lord, we believe. We hear. Equip us to do the word that you've given us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.